Hey, thank you for taking time to watch this video message. Our prayer for you is that God would use this message in a profound way to impact your life. If you're somebody that's had your life impacted by the ministry here at Crosspoint, we would love for you to share your story with us. Simply send us an email at mystory@crosspointcity.com and let us know about what God has done in your heart. And lastly, if you need more information about the ministry here at Crosspoint, simply go to crosspointcity.com and you can find everything listed there. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, 10 o'clock. You doing all right? It's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? It's good stuff, man. Well, it's great to be here with you guys. Uh, before we dive into the message, I just wanted to mention two really quick things. All right, first is this. Uh, if you're new to our church, uh, let me say welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. Uh, and secondly, I want to invite you to come have breakfast with me next Saturday. Uh, this upcoming Saturday, we are doing something that we do every six weeks called our Newcomer Breakfast. And it's just a chance for you, if you're new to, the, to Cross Point, uh, to learn more about who we are, what our mission is, what we value, what we believe, how our leadership is structured. And, uh, and it just gives me a chance to connect with you. I know I miss a lot of people here on Sundays, and so I'd love to meet you. Uh, the food is good, and more importantly, it's free. Uh, we offer child care as well, but we need to know that you're going to be here, all right? Spaces are limited, and, and we need to prepare well for you. So you can sign up one of two ways, either at the connection desk in our lobby before you go, or you can go to crosspointcity.com slash newcomer and sign up online, okay? Uh, the second thing I want to mention is this. Uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that uh, we've been sharing with you that we have a team that's been in Burkina Faso, West Africa, doing mission work. Uh, they are actually on their way home today, should be somewhere over the Atlantic about right now. But uh, we've adopted as a church in the past year an unreached people group in this little West African country that we have committed to work with until they come off the unreached people's map. This past week, uh, we sent our very first team to these people. This was the first team anybody, uh, I'm sorry, this is the first time anybody in the entire world has gone to these people to get the gospel to them. And I want to tell you that this past week, 60 people who had never heard the name of Jesus before now know him as their Savior and Lord. Come on. Amazing. When I heard that news, man, I was just overwhelmed. And I'll tell you, I truly believe that this past week, what happened is only the start to something big that God's getting ready to allow our church to be a part of in that part of the world. So let's keep praying, uh, keep investing, and I'll keep you posted on opportunities to go and to be a part of work there on the ground, all right? Well, hey, we're in week three of a series called Tempted. And if you've been here in the last few weeks, I've been telling you that the goal of the series is simple. It's to answer one big question, which is this. How do I say no to sin when I want to say yes? Now, keeping that question in mind, I want to ask you to go ahead and get your Bibles out, or if you have a device with a version app ready to go, you can turn your Bibles on, and I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 4 with me. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, look, I've always been that guy who has hated to hear people say to me that I either couldn't or wouldn't do something. In fact, when I was younger and a whole lot dumber, the quickest way to get me to do anything was to tell me that I couldn't or wouldn't do it. And most of the time, doing those things that, that people would say I couldn't or, or wouldn't do went okay, but then there were those rare occasions when things would go very wrong for me. 
And I'll give you an example. All right? As a kid, I remember hanging with my cousin one day at my grandparents' house. And he got the brilliant idea to tie a rope from my grandfather's dump truck to a fence nearby. And his plan was to have us traverse the rope hand over hand from the truck to the fence. And, and when it was go time, guess what he did? Well, he looked at me and he said, all right, James, you go first, man. And because I didn't want to hear those words, what, you won't do it? You don't think you can do it? I mustered up all the courage I had inside of me at that time. I climbed up onto the edge of the truck and I jumped out onto the rope. And, and that's when things went very wrong. You see, my cousin proved that he had been a horrible boy scout. Because the knot he tied came loose quickly. And the next thing I knew, I was falling face first toward a concrete wall below. And later that night, I went home not only with a bruised ego, but with 15 stitches in the front of my face, all because of a need to prove myself to my cousin. Now look, the second temptation that Jesus faced, this is what it's all about. As we're going to see this morning, the devil basically put a dare in front of Jesus and he said to him, prove yourself. And look, while that might not seem like a big deal to some of us, we need to understand that in order for Jesus to prove himself in the manner that the devil intended, he would have been forcing God the Father to do the same. And you're going to see over the course of this message that, that testing God in that manner is always a big deal no matter the situation. And I want to start showing you how that's true, all right? So if you have your Bible open, we're going to start reading in verse 5. Uh, if you didn't bring anything with you, then feel free to follow along with me on the screens, all right? Here's what it says. Then the devil took him, that's Jesus, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, here's the dare, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So these verses, here's what they tell us. That in the second temptation that Jesus faced, he and the devil actually leave the desert. And the devil takes him into the city of Jerusalem to the temple, uh, the temple in which the very presence of God dwelt during this time. And when they get there, he, he takes Jesus to the pinnacle or the highest point of the temple, which would have sat some 500 feet below or, or above the valley below. And I don't know if you're afraid of heights, but you can just imagine what that might have looked like, right? Jesus, he's taken in the scenery. There's probably people everywhere. And as Jesus is, is standing there looking across this great city, that's when the devil says to him, all right, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, prove it. Prove it. Throw yourself down from here. And then what the devil does next is unreal. He actually preaches a sermon to Jesus in hopes that he'll give in to temptation. Isn't that crazy? Look, if you were here last week, I told you that the devil knows this book and that he knows how to use it against us, which is why it's so important for us to know this book, God's Word. Well, look, we find a prime example of the devil trying to use the Word of God against Jesus in the second temptation. If you were here last week, man, we learned together that, that in his first temptation, right, when Jesus uh, was facing hunger and the devil was tempting him to satisfy that hunger on his own apart from God, that Jesus' response to the devil was, man doesn't live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And now he's standing 500 feet above the city of Jerusalem on top of the temple, and it's almost as if the devil is saying to him, all right, man, let's see if you really believe that. Let me throw out some Bible verses to you. And he starts preaching to Jesus from an Old Testament passage, Psalm chapter 91. It's this amazing passage in in which we find promises of God to his people to protect them and to be with them as they face difficulties and challenges in life. And what I want us to do together is this. I I want us to read directly from Psalm 91, the the scriptures that, that he was preaching to Jesus. And as we read, I want you to pay close attention, all right? And I want you to see if you notice anything that's strange or that's off as you think about what we just read from Matthew 4. All right, look at this. This is Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do you notice anything here that's different from what we read in Matthew 4? Did you catch it? Look, just in case you didn't, let me show you what we have to catch, all right? When the devil quoted or should I say misquoted Psalm 91, he left out this very important phrase, to guard you in all your ways. Now, while that statement might seem really simple to us, I want you to know the implications of it are hugely important. And the idea is this, that God the Father will cover us in his protection and in his care as we walk in faithfulness and obedience to him. You see, when you read Psalm 91 as a whole, which I would encourage you to do this week on your own time, what you'll find is this, that as our ways become God's ways, that's when God promises to protect us and to care for us as we face the difficulties and challenges of life, which also means, on the other hand, look, that if you and I decide to throw ourselves into danger or difficulty willingly, by walking according to our own ways, well, we might very well forfeit those promises of God to us. And can I tell you, that's what the enemy wants us to miss. That's what he wanted Jesus to miss. You see, he wanted Jesus to believe that Psalm 91 was true for him, which it was, right? I mean, that was the true part of his sermon. But he also wanted Jesus to believe that Psalm 91 would remain true for him regardless of whether or not he walked in God's ways. That's why I said to Jesus, do what you want, man. Just jump from here. I mean, if you're really the son of God, shouldn't you be able to jump from the heights of of this temple and suffer no harm? Isn't that what God promised that he would do for you? Look, can I tell you what's so scary about this particular type of temptation? It almost sounds virtuous, doesn't it? Almost honorable in a way to think that, that Jesus in that moment could have helped God out. He could have jumped from the temple, potentially proved God's promises, proved himself as the son of God, and shut the devil up. It sounds really tempting, doesn't it? But can I tell you, if Jesus would have jumped, he would have been acting in sin, and here's why. Because in jumping, he would have been, uh, he would have been uh, showing us that, that his actions were based in nothing but doubt and unbelief. And I'll explain myself. Look, if Jesus would have jumped... He wouldn't have been taking God at his word in Psalm 91 and trusting that as his ways became God's ways, as he walked in faithfulness and obedience to God, that God would cover him in the protection and care that he had for him. 
Instead, what he would have been doing is putting God's word to the test by throwing himself into danger willingly while presuming upon God's promises. And in essence, he would have been forcing God to act on his behalf. And church, look at me. Can I tell you, that is sin. Whenever you and I think to ourselves, well, I can walk in my own ways. I don't really have to worry about God's ways. I walk in my own ways. And I'll presume upon God's promises, God's power, and God's protection to come through for me. That's sin. I mean, it's sinful to think that we can kind of live how we want and do what we want to do and still claim the promises of God for our lives, right? To have that mindset that, you know, if I'm truly a loved son or daughter of God, I should be able to to be who I want to be and walk in whatever ways I want to walk in and still hold God to this great expectation of of coming through for me, especially when I need him most. Can I just tell you that's sinful, man? If that's your mindset, you've bought into a lie. And the reason that the enemy lies to us like this is simple. It, It goes back to what we've been learning about temptation, that temptation is a trap set by the enemy in order to destroy us so that he can steal from both us and God. Look at me, the enemy knows that if he can convince you to put God to the test by walking in disobedience to his ways while presuming upon his promises and his protection, that what you're doing in reality is you're leaving the promises and protection of God behind. And look, once you leave those things behind, the enemy knows, well, I can trap that person and I can destroy them And as a result, I can steal from both them and God. And look, can I tell you what's so crazy before we keep going? Here's what's crazy. When that's happening in your life, the devil has a way of convincing us, convincing you personally to believe that all that you're experiencing is all God's fault. You ever been there before? Even though you're the one walking in disobedience, and even though the enemy is the one wreaking havoc in your life, somehow he'll convince you to believe that God's the one to blame? You jumped, he didn't catch you. I thought God could be trusted. I thought his promises were good no matter what. Well, where is he now, man? And what he does is, is he convinces you again to believe in another lie that, that God, he's just leaving you out to dry. And as a result, he'll continue to steal from you the protection and the care that God offers you while also stealing at the same time honor and glory that God deserves from your life. This is why it's so important for us to understand how to avoid this kind of temptation. Look, it's so subtle. And if we're not careful, we can easily miss it. But I want you to know that its effects are absolutely devastating. And the great news for us today is this. Well, we can learn from Jesus exactly how to avoid it. If you still have your Bibles open, go back to the passage. I want to show you how Jesus responds to the devil. Look. Jesus says back to him, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So like he did last week, he goes Old Testament on the devil again. And he quotes a passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And and the story of Deuteronomy 6 is this. Moses, he's standing before the Israelite people, and he's telling them not to test God like they had previously done at a place called Massah. Uh, you can read that story of them testing God in Exodus 17, but, but the story's simple. These people, they come to, to Moses one day as they're out in the desert, and they say to Moses, bro, we're thirsty, and we need you to go to God and demand that he give us water. And Moses tell God that he better do this for us so that we can know whether or not he's among us. Now look at me. Can we just think about how crazy that is for just a minute together? These are the same people 
who had just witnessed God send 10 supernatural plagues on the nation of Egypt to free them from over 400 years of slavery. These were the same people who, uh, when they were running for their lives from the Egyptians, witnessed God part the Red Sea so that they could cross through to the other side on dry land. These are the people who, as they're in the desert, are experiencing God's supernatural provision each and every day by by him sending manna from heaven, that cake-like bread from heaven, so that they could eat and not starve to death. These are the people coming to Moses saying to him, we need to know whether or not God's among us. Moses, we need a sign. And the sign we need is water. Isn't that insane? Now look, we're going to come back to that story in a few minutes and and we're going to talk about how we uh, all become who who the Israelites were whenever we test God by walking in our own ways and presuming upon his power and promises. But here's all I want you to know for now, okay? When Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.16 in Matthew 4.7, he was simply reiterating what we've already touched on, that testing God is sin. When we say to God, like the Israelites said to God, I'm going to be who I want to be. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. God, I'm going to treat you like I want to treat you. And God, the whole time I'm living like that, I am going to expect you to still come through on your promises to protect and to care for me. Look, you are walking in sin that forfeits those promises of God. And so, again, the big question we got to answer is how in the world do we avoid saying yes to that sin? Like, what can we learn from Jesus uh, in order to avoid testing God so that we can truly walk under his protection and care? Well, I want to give you three things, all right? Take notes. You write this stuff down. First, means you gotta learn to trust God, not to test him. You gotta learn to trust God, not to test him. Uh, Think about this with me. Why do you test anything? Isn't it to figure out whether or not you can trust it? Like if you were to say to me, all right, James, let's go try out this new restaurant this weekend that I've been hearing all this stuff about. What you're really saying to me is, hey, let's go figure out if we can really trust what we've been hearing about the food at this restaurant, right? Uh, If you tell me you're going to go test drive a new car on Saturday, what you're really saying to me is, I'm going to go test drive this car to determine whether or not I should trust its dependability enough to buy it. Uh, If you're single in the room and you were to say, uh, you know, I'm going to test out the dating waters, what you're really saying is, I am willing to see uh, if there is any person out there in the midst of all the crazy, insane people, if there's just one, God, please let there be one, at least one person that I can trust enough to have a relationship with. And look, do you know that when you test God, you're saying the same about him? What you're saying is not really sure if he can be trusted. And in order to figure it out, what I need to do is, is put God through a test, even if it means me walking in disobedience to him. And can I tell you why testing God is such a big deal? Look, don't miss it. Testing God is a direct assault on his character. It's literally you saying to him, God, I don't know if you're trustworthy, even though God has proven time and time again throughout history that he is. And the ultimate proof of his trustworthiness is found in the life, death, and resurrection of his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I said a few moments ago that the Israelites give us a picture of of who we become when we test God. Here's why. Think about this. We say the same thing, the same silly, ridiculous things to God that they said to God. We say to him in testing him, God, uh, know you sent your son Jesus here, God wrapped in flesh, to live a perfect life on my behalf, the life I couldn't live. 
God, I know that you sent Jesus to a cross at the end of his life to die a brutal, hellish death for me. And God, I know that you even raised him up three days later from the dead to save me from sin, death, and hell. But God, I need another sign. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if you're going to be faithful to me. And so, God, what I've done is is I've created this list of demands, and I want to give them to you. And if you'll come through on all these things on my behalf, well, then I might decide to trust you. And, And, God, while you're working on this, just know I might be over here walking according to my own ways. Look at me. Can we just agree and be honest this morning that there is nothing else God needs to do to prove his trustworthiness? He's done it all. And look, that's what the enemy wants you to miss. He wants you to forget about the cross of Jesus Christ so that you will begin to question God's character. You see, when you begin to question God's character, that's when you begin to test him. And when you begin to test him, well, that's when you leave his protection behind. And look at me, we need his protection. And why? Well, because, again, the enemy in tempting us, all he's trying to do is trap us so that he can destroy us in order to steal from both us and God. The next thing that we've got to do if we want to avoid this kind of temptation is this. And I've already been talking about it. We've got to walk in God's ways, not our own ways. Walk in his ways, not in your ways. Uh, I want to take us just for a moment back to that Deuteronomy 6 passage that Jesus quoted from. And I want us to read together the verses that follow. Check this out. I want you to see what Moses went on to say to the people. He said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Messiah. And that's what Jesus quoted. He goes on. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. So let me make it real simple, right? Moses stands for the people. He says, uh, you want to experience God's blessing? You want all that he has for you. Do you want to experience his care? Do you want God to protect you from your enemies? And here's what he says. Walk in his ways. Don't walk in your ways. Obey his commandments. Don't disobey his commandments. Live according to his plans and desires. Don't live according to your own plans and desires. And if you'll do that, well, look, things will go well for you. Now, look at me. I don't want to confuse you, so let me be crystal clear right now. Look, in teaching this, I am not suggesting that if you walk according to God's ways, that your life will always be easy and comfortable. Can I tell you that at times walking in God's ways means that your life will become harder and more uncomfortable? All I'm teaching is what the Bible teaches, which is this, that if you walk according to God's ways, things will go well for you despite whatever it is you may face in life. See, understand, the person that walks in obedience to God can always be confident that God cares and that he will bring them through whatever they may face in life. And church, look, that's the truth the enemy wants you to miss. He wants you to miss. He wants you to miss that the pathway that leads to God's blessing and protection protection is the pathway marked by obedience. And instead, he he wants you to believe what, what he tried to get Jesus to believe. That if you're really a son or daughter of God, you should make God prove it. You, you should throw yourself into danger or difficulty willingly and test God by seeing whether or not he's going to come through for you. And, and he'll preach silly stuff to us, stuff like this. Uh, be whatever kind of husband or wife you want to be. 
and expect God the whole time to come through, to, to, to bless your marriage, to protect your marriage, to save your marriage if things go really wrong. Well, and if he doesn't, be mad at him. Don't be mad at me. He'll preach stuff like this to you. Manage your money however you want to manage it. And expect God the whole time to bless your finances and to meet all your needs. Well, look, if he doesn't meet your needs, we know what that means, right? He can't be trusted. He'll say this to us. Uh, Treat people however you want to treat people. And expect God to bless your influence and, and to protect your character. He'll even say this. Indulge yourself in all kind of pleasures. And expect God the whole time as you're walking according to your own ways to keep you safe from the potential consequences of your sin and disobedience. Isn't that crazy? And the crazier thing is some of us buy it, don't we? And I would even go as far as, as, far as saying all of us have bought it at some point. It's such a dangerous message. And, and the enemy knows that if he can get us to buy into it, well, then he can trap us and he can destroy us And as a result, he can steal from both us and God. That's why we have to walk in his ways, not in our own ways. That's what leads to God's blessing, care, and protection. And can I just tell you, look, God wants to give you those things. It's not like God is is holding out on you. God wants to give you his protection and and care. He, He wants to rescue you from your enemy, Satan, the devil, which means, look, as you walk in your own ways, God's even willing out of his love for you to discipline you at times by allowing you to face the consequences of your disobedience. But he's doing it all for one simple purpose, to restore you back to himself. And why? Well, Because he wants to give you his protection and care. But here's the good news. Save yourself from trouble. His word is clear. If you want those things to cover you in the good times and in the bad times of life, walk in his ways. Walk in his ways. The last thing is this. To avoid this kind of temptation to test God, you got to live for the moment, not this moment. And I know that sounds really strange, so let me unpack it and make sense of it, okay? Uh, As I was reading and studying this past week, I kept wondering, like, what if? What if Jesus would have jumped? What if he would have jumped? Would have God come through... Would God have come through on those promises in, in Psalm 91 despite Jesus walking according to his own ways? Like, would he have sent angels to catch Jesus and to save his life? You see, if so, here's what we know. Everybody in Jerusalem at that time and everybody around the world would have known in that moment that Jesus was who he said he was. He was, in fact, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Look, do you think that thought ever crossed Jesus' mind as he was standing up there? Again, remember, this was a real temptation. Jesus was fully God when he was here, but he was also fully man. And the Bible's true when it says that he faced every temptation just as we do, yet he was without sin. So I just wonder if Jesus thought, just for a moment at least, I can jump. I can shut the devil up. I can prove to him and to all these people watching that I am who I say that I am. That sounds tempting, doesn't it? And Jesus could have given in, but I'm convinced the reason that he didn't, based on this passage that we're studying, is simple. He knew that it wasn't his moment. It wasn't his moment. Look, God had a plan all along to vindicate Jesus as his son and as the savior of the world by rescuing him from death, but not death that would have resulted from him jumping off the Jerusalem temple. His plan was to vindicate Jesus as his son by rescuing him from a death that he would die by going to a cross and paying for your sins and mine. 
And I'm convinced that as he was standing on the roof of that temple, listening to the devil preach at him, that was the moment on his mind. He knew, I still have messages to preach, ministry to do, people to heal, trials to suffer, and sinners to save. And if I jump, man, I can't save them. The only way that I can save them is by being lifted high up on a cross for all of Jerusalem to see. And having God the Father, by his spirit, raise me up from the dead three days later. Look, can I tell you, can I tell you that the devil tempts us to test God by walking in our own ways, by presuming upon his power and protection in the same way that he tempted Jesus? Here's what he does. He tries to narrow our focus to the present moment and to believe that if God really loves us as his sons and daughters, that he should come through on his promises to vindicate us, in other words, to prove that we're truly loved sons and daughters, by coming through on all of his promises for us right here, right now, even if we choose not to walk according to his own ways. Isn't that nuts? But this is what he does. Look, I want you to understand that you and I, we have to make the same choice that Jesus made. Do I want to put God to the test and force him to come through right now in order to prove his love for me? Or am I willing to wait for the moment in which that's going to come, and in church, it's going to come. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. But here's what I need you to hear before I go there. This is going to be hard, especially for those of us who are impatient people in the room. Look, do you know that not a single person here today is ever going to experience all of God's promises in the here and now, even if you walk in full surrender and full obedience to God's ways? Do you know that? And do you want to know why that's true? Simple. Because all God's promises in this book aren't for right now. Look, there are many promises for us as sons and daughters of God that are gonna come to pass, but they're gonna come to pass in a future moment. In that moment when you and I finally leave this world and we go to be with God, our Father, you see, in that moment, God will vindicate us just like he vindicated Jesus. Our salvation will finally be realized We will have his blessing, his care, and his protection uh, in, in perfect ways, in ways that we've never known before. And in one moment, in that one moment, we'll have all the proof we need to know for the rest of eternity that we are his loved sons and daughters. So again, my question for you is, is what are you living for? Are you living for this present moment? Or are you waking up each and every day living for that moment? The only way to overcome this temptation to test God is to live for that future moment. There's this amazing passage in the Old Testament book of Zephaniah that gives us a beautiful picture of what that future moment's going to look like. And I want you to read this with me. Check it out. This prophet, he says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, he's in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let your hands uh, not grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Look, this is unreal to me. God, on that day, he will rejoice over us with gladness. He will quiet us by his love. He will exult over us with loud singing. Do you know that God wants us to be with him? He wants us there. Isn't that unreal to think about? That God is is looking forward to that future moment just like we are. Isn't that insane? 
Behold, at that time, here's God speaking, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and I'll gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Now look, don't miss this. That's the moment that the enemy wants us to forget about. He wants to convince us to forget about what awaits on us and to only live for the here and now. And he wants us to live for the here and now to the point that we start demanding from God to come through on all of his promises and to offer the proof of his love for us in tangible ways right here, right now. He wants us to say to God, God, all that you have for me then, I want it now. And God, if you don't give it to me now, well, then I don't know if I'm going to trust you. We can't give in. Church, look, if we do that, we start walking our own ways, we start testing God, and we leave his protection behind. And as a result, the enemy, what does he do? He traps us, he works to destroy us so that he can steal from both us and God. So look, here's the encouragement, you ready? Whenever you're tempted to throw yourself in to the dangers and difficulties that disobedience to God may bring, whenever you are tempted to demand certain things from God in order to figure out whether or not he's trustworthy and whether or not he's gonna be faithful to you, look, here's what you do, ready? Don't jump, don't jump. Look back on the cross and remember God's great love for you. Look forward to that future moment and remember that there's coming a day when the difficulties and dangers that sin and our enemy try to bring into our lives, they will be no more and all that God has for us will finally be ours. Don't jump. Do what Jesus did and live for that future moment. This past Monday, I did something I'd never done before. I, uh, I went and did a prayer retreat, a day-long prayer retreat with a friend from our church at the Monastery of the Holy Spirit down in Conyers. Spent the day hanging with monks and praying. It was awesome. It was refreshing. And it just reminded me that uh, I don't pray enough. I'll be honest. I got to do more of it. And I think we all got to do more of it. Um, I, I won't stop preaching that at you. But uh, all I did all day long was get out the Word of God and read passages, and I prayed as God prompted me. And one of the passages that I read and prayed through was this passage in the book of Ephesians. It's in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And uh, in this passage, Paul's writing to this church about all that he's praying for them. And I just want to read it to you. Listen to this. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And I read those three verses, and I'm sitting on this bench out in the middle of nowhere on this thousand-acre property, and God just prompted me to pray. And here's what I prayed. First, I just prayed for you. Thank God for you. It's Cross Point City Church. And I thank God that He allows me to be your pastor. And as I was thanking God for you, I, I just felt like He burdened me to pray what Paul prayed that God would give every single person that makes up this church the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that we can know Him better. You see, I know for some of us, man, this church thing is what we do on Sundays. 
come in, we listen to guys like me preach. We know it all. We've grown up in church. We will yawn through it at times. I get it, I get it, I get it. I prayed, God, don't let them miss it. Don't let them miss what you have for them. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know you deeper in the things they, they already think they know you in. God, don't let them miss you. And I kept praying, God, would you enlighten the eyes of their hearts so that they may know this, this hope to which you've called them. I sat on that bench and I just begged God, God, as I talk about that future hope this weekend, don't let us miss it. Don't just walk in and go, ah, I know Jesus died and I don't have to go to hell and, and eternity's mine one day. Hooray. Oh God, let's be, let's be in awe of that. Let's be blown away by the fact that it's coming today. We're going to be in your presence and you're going to rejoice over us and you're going to sing over us and our enemies are going to be driven out from among us and we'll never have to fear evil again. On that day, all the difficulties that, that the enemy and sin has brought into our lives, God, there'll be no more. God, would you just help us as a, as a church to really grasp that hope? You see, I understand this morning that in order for us to really get that future hope, God has got to move and speak to us in supernatural ways. He has to give us an understanding of that hope that only he can give. As we close, man, I just want us to pray and to press into him and to ask him to give us the understanding we need so that when temptation comes our way and the enemy's saying to us, prove yourself, prove yourself and make God prove himself, that we can stand and we can say to the enemy, nothing to prove, nothing to prove. It's already been proven on my behalf. I'm not gonna live for this moment there's a moment that I'm living for that is so much more important to me. Let's ask God to give us the understanding that we need right now. So we can join me in that. God, I just want to say right now that we are so aware of our need for you. God, if you don't speak to us this morning... God, if you don't move in our hearts this morning, God, we're gonna leave the same that we walked in. God, and we don't want that. God, we wanna leave different. We wanna leave more confident in you, more sure of who you are. God, we wanna leave believing greater things than we believed when we walked in an hour ago. God, we wanna love Jesus more than we loved him an hour ago. We wanna be more confident in the future hope that waits on us than we were an hour ago. So God, right now we're saying to you, we need you. Speak to us. Move in us in a way that only you can and, and help us to grasp things that, that we cannot grasp with our earthly finite minds. God, would you give us understanding through your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. I'm just praying right now, God, as we sit in your presence, God, that your voice would be undeniable, God, that your touch would be undeniable, God, and that you would do something in our lives today that, that would truly be undeniable to us and the people that we're going to encounter after we leave this place. God, we need you. We need you. Thank you for how faithful you are. Thank you that we can trust you today. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for all that waits on us. Help us, God, to walk in your ways. 
God. We pray these things in your name and in your name alone.